Funding for Igeret Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Quotes the, uh, the Talmud, the end of the tractate of Yuma, which is the tractate about Yom Kippur, and he says there he makes three distinctions. If a person transgressed a positive mitzvah, he did not fulfill a positive mitzvah, then you're immediately forgiven, with the exception of two positive mitzvahs two positive mitzvot that come with the penalty of karis, which is being cut off, death in the hands of heaven, cut off. Which two mitzvot are those? If you don't have a bris, and if you don't bring the paschal lamb. But those two mitzvot are the exception. But all the other mitzvot, if you did a sin of omission, you did not fulfill the mitzvah, you didn't read the Shema, you didn't put on the film, whatever it is, you don't move from there until your sins are forgiven. That's the first category. So then he says, what if you violate a sin of commission, you did something wrong, you violated a prohibition, then tshuva alone is not enough, Tshuva causes the sin to hang, like you're not punished. And the Yom Kippur, it's only Yom Kippur that achieves an atonement. You need Tshuva together with Yom Kippur. Now last week someone asked a question. Not all prohibitions are acts of commission. Not all prohibitions there are some prohibitions that are also acts of omission. Torah says, don't withhold the payment of your worker. So if you don't pay your worker, I didn't do an act, I withheld an act, I did not pay. Well, the Torah says, don't stand by as you see a, a person being endangered, you can't just stand by indifferent, you have to get involved and try to help them. If you violate this prohibition, what have you done? You haven't done anything. You have not done something. So what is the criteria? Is the criteria here any positive mitzvah you're forgiven immediately or any prohibition? Or is the criteria is the act? When you act, when you do something, since you've done something, you've done a sin, since you've done a sin, you've created negative energy. How about those sins that are not involved with acting? You don't act. It's withholding. It's not doing something. What happens about those sins? Are those also forgiven instantly? He doesn't get into that here. That's a very interesting, it's a very interesting discussion because that's how one commentary explains the contradiction. There's a contradiction. In this Talmud, in Yuma, to elsewhere, tractate Chagiga, there the Talmud says that if a person sins and he regrets it, he's forgiven immediately. It's when a person sins and he doesn't regret it, that's when he's not forgiven. And there the Torah is talking about a prohibition. So here we say only if you violate a positive mitzvah, you're forgiven instantly. And there we say if you violate a negative, a prohibition, you're also forgiven instantly. That's the question that Taishvus asks. And the answer is that when it says there he's forgiven instantly, he's not totally forgiven. It means he's partially forgiven. But like 
the tractate Nyum that we're learning here, that we just quoted, Alter Rebbe quotes, the complete forgiveness is only on Yom Kippur. But the, there's one commentary, the Turi Yavon answers, no, there's a big difference. The verse that we learn out from, in tractate Hagiga, that the, if you regret your sin, the person sinned and immediately regrets it. He feels guilty, he feels bad about it, it was a moment of weakness, but he regrets it. The verse there is talking about someone who doesn't pay his worker on time. <laughs> so again, it's a sin of omission. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything wrong. He, just, I'm sorry, he did not do what he had to do. So therefore, since he didn't do an act, he didn't do an act, therefore he's forgiven instantly. When do we say that when you commit a sin, truva alone is not enough, you also need Yom Kippur, it's when you do an act. Because by doing a sin, you're doing an act, you're bringing negativity into this world. So that's if you do a sin of, of commission. When you act negatively, you, you do something. You bring negativity, negative energy into this world. So in order to atone for that negative energy, you have to, you have, to have Yom Kippur. Truva alone is not enough. But in the case where you don't do anything, so that's where the criteria is not down the line, a positive mitzvah prohibition. The criteria is most positive mitzvah, the mitzvah is to do. A positive mitzvah means you have to do. If you didn't do the mitzvah, it means you didn't do anything. That's why you're forgiven instantly. Versus if you do a sin, if you act wrongly, you've created the stain. You've brought a negative energy into this world. Therefore, you need an atonement, and Shuvah alone is not enough. You have to wait for Yom Kippur to achieve that cleansing. So according to this criteria, it wouldn't be clear-cut. You can have a, a prohibition, which is also um, an act of omission. And in that case, it would be the same way. You're forgiven instantly. So this apparently is an argument. It's not simple. It's an argument between Wait, Taisvus understands it, he doesn't make any differences. According to Taisvus, it's a very clear distinction. Any positive mitzvah is a positive mitzvah, and any prohibition, it doesn't matter if it's an act, if you violate the prohibition by doing, by acting, or you violate the prohibition by not doing what you had to do. Either way, just the fact that it's a prohibition means that it creates a stain, and it creates a negative, negative energy. So the Alter Rebbe doesn't go into that, and he doesn't spell it out clearly. And, um, you know, I'm sure Hasidus discusses it, but I haven't found where, like this question, this particular question. If when we say, Alter Rebbe says here, that when you violate a prohibition, you create a stain, and you create a negative energy, if that refers to all 365 prohibitions, I mean, all prohibitions, or only those prohibitions in which you act negatively, you do an act, you stole, you did something. Yes? Is that only between man and God, or it's between man and Oh, oh very good. No, between man and man, in addition to doing Teshuvah, even Yom Kippur can help you, because you have to obtain forgiveness. You have to have the person forgive you. You can cry from today till tomorrow, and God could forgive you for his part, but you heard of another person, you need the other person to forgive you. So unless you get the other person to forgive you, you're not, uh, you're not forgiven. But he can't withhold. What? Once you ask his forgiveness, he can't withhold the forgiveness. Well, that's a, that's a separate thing. He shouldn't be cruel if you, if you are sincere. He says he's only obligated to ask three times. If after three times he refuses to forgive you, then it's not your responsibility anymore. There's nothing you can do. If you see a teacher... There's no limit how many times you have to ask forgiveness. Um, but, the, but you're not forgiven until, until he actually forgives you. You know, you would think even if a person dies, a person dies, if a person dies, are you forgiven? The person who insulted another person and he dies, is that an atonement? Is death an atonement? Or in this case, since the other person never forgave you, it's too late. It, right? There's no atonement. So that's a separate discussion. What happens when a person dies? You no longer exist. You know, your ego comes to an end. So, so 
question is everything that you've done it's uh, maybe it's, it no longer applies so that, that, that's an interesting separate discussion but so when you, when you harm another person when you steal from another person you have to return not only do you have to return the money that you've stolen you have to ask forgiveness and until the person forgives you for stealing his money you're not forgiven what about if you stole something not so concrete, an idea that you attributed to yourself? Whatever, whatever. You harm, you insult another person, whatever you've done. Any damage, any harm you've brought to another person, the other person has to forgive you. Okay, so this is how the Rebbe explains that when we say that when you violate a positive mitzvah, you're forgiven instantly, versus when you violate the prohibition it's only tshuva together with Yom Kippur. So it, it doesn't, it's not because a positive mitzvah is not so significant. It's no big deal. Okay, it's, more, it's, it's, it's not so important. And therefore, the moment you do tshuva, you're forgiven. The Rebbe says, no, it's not true. Because the law states, when you have a positive mitzvah and a prohibition, which one takes precedence? The positive mitzvah. So we see that the positive mitzvah is greater than, than, than the prohibition. The positive mitzvah is motivated by love. You do a mitzvah because you love Hashem. You don't do a sin because you're afraid. Love takes, is primary. Love is stronger. So you have to do the mitzvah, the positive. And that takes precedence over the prohibition. And nevertheless, when it comes to tshuva, the moment you violate the positive mitzvah, the moment you do tshuva, you're instantly forgiven. Why? If positive mitzvah has carried so much weight and is so significant that it overrides a negative mitzvah prohibition, why is tshuva so easy? Now that Rebbe explains, no, it's not that tshuva is so easy. On the contrary, when you violate a positive mitzvah, tshuva doesn't help. Because the mitzvah is a lost opportunity and you can never make up for it. You missed the boat. So you can cry from today till tomorrow. You missed the train. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. That you can't make up. Truva doesn't help. So on the contrary, a mitzvah is so weighty, carries so much weight, it's so significant that tshuva on a mitzvah doesn't help to fill the void, to fill the emptiness of what you're missing. You go into a desert, and you forgot to fill your canteen with water. You can cry from today to tomorrow, but it's not going to fill your canteen with water. You just don't have the water. But another mitzvah, you're not hopeless and helpless. Another mitzvah might make you feel... But it doesn't take away from the mitzvah right. that you missed. The mitzvah that you missed, you missed. That's right. That's a lost opportunity. So why do you need what, what do you need to do to Shuva? What does Shuva help? Shuva only helps for the person. The lost opportunity is lost. That's gone. Nothing you can do about it. Yom Kippur won't help you. Nothing you can do. So it's even stricter than a, than a prohibition. It carries so much weight and so much significance. For a prohibition, Yom Kippur helps. Shuva together with Yom Kippur. For a positive mitzvah, even Shuva and Yom Kippur won't help. The, you blew it. You missed the chance. You didn't do the mitzvah. There's nothing you could do to fill that void. But nevertheless, you have to do tshuva. Why? Because you rebelled. You rebelled against the king. You're a soldier who did not obey orders. So for that, for being a rebel, that you have to do tshuva. You're sorry that you, and you turn to Hashem and say, I'm from now on, I am your loyal soldier. You can count him. From now on, any, anything you tell me, your word, is, your wish is my command. For that, you can do tshuva. And for that, you can do tshuva instantly. To switch from a rebel to a loyal and faithful soldier, that could be in a moment. If you're sincere, Hashem looks into your heart. If you're sincere, in one second, you're there. There's no need to wait. The moment you decide that you're doing tshuva, you're instantly forgiven. So that's why tshuva happens instantly. Not because a mitzvah is so insignificant, so it's no big deal. 
It's such a big deal that Shuvah won't help him, Kippur won't help, nothing you can do will help. But the Shuvah is only for you, personally, since you, you became a rebel. So you have to change. From a rebel, you have to change back into a loyal, a loyal, a loyal citizen, a loyal servant, soldier. So therefore, for that, Shuvah helps instantly. But when you violate a prohibition, it's not only your rebel. In addition to being a rebel, you did damage. It's one thing you're a rebel, you're not listening. It's another thing if you become a terrorist, you did damage. You blew up. You did damage. So it's very nice, you're going to come to the king and say, okay, from now on, I'm a good, I'm a good citizen. Very nice. But you're a terrorist, you did damage, you destroyed, you wreaked havoc. You created a scar. You brought negativity, you brought darkness. You have to clean up your mess. You patched you gotta, you got to clean it up. So for that, tshuva alone is not enough. But tshuva, together with Yom Kippur, that can achieve an atonement. Okay, let's... Uh, this is what Alter Rebbe now goes on to say, right? 1004 in the middle of the page. This superiority of the positive command that makes it supersede a negative command is so because by performing a positive command, one precipitates an illumination and flow into the higher world from the reflected, infinite, ein Sof life. As we find in the Zohar, the 248 positive commandments are the 248 organs of the king. The Talmud says the 248 positive commandments correspond to the 248 limbs in the body. The Zohar says it's not only corresponds to the 248 limbs in the body, the mitzvot are the 248 limbs. The limbs of Hashem, so to speak. What's the idea of a limb? When you have an eye, you see. If God forbid your eye is dysfunctional, you can't see. It's the eye that draws out the ability, the soul's ability to see into the open. You have an ear, you're able to hear. So every organ draws out a part of the soul, a different part of the soul. So every mitzvah draws down a particular revelation of godliness into this world. Just like every organ is different, every organ brings out a different part of the same soul, so too every mitzvah brings out a different revelation of godliness into this world. So the purpose of a mitzvah is to bring Hashem into this world. When you do a mitzvah, you're drawing down godliness into this world. Continue. The 248 positive commands are equated with the emotive attributes of Etzilat, which are collectively termed the king. Just as an organ serves as a vessel to the soul faculty enclosed within it, so too is each positive command an organ and vessel for a particular effluence of the emotive attributes of a sealer that are drawn down through the performance of that particular commandment. Thus, through performing positive commands, one draws down godliness into the higher world, and also through the performance of a positive command, one draws godliness onto his divine soul. As we say in the blessings that precede the performance of many mitzvah, who has hallowed us with his commandments, fulfilling a positive command has the effect of drawing down divine light and holiness upon the soul, for which reason it surpasses and supersedes conformity to a negative command. So when you do a mitzvah, you bring in godliness into the world, into the higher worlds, but you're also bringing down godliness into yourself. Your soul is enveloped by, by, by godliness. And that's the reason why the Torah says that a mitzvah takes precedence over a prohibition. Because only through the mitzvah do you bring Hashem into this world. And that's, that's the whole purpose of creation, to bring godliness into this world. You know, there's a whole discussion, an argument between Hillel and Shammai. Was it better for a person to be created or was it better for a person not to be created? For three years they were arguing. <laughs> Shammai said, was it better for a person not to be created? Hillel says, better for a person to be created. Because it's better for a person not to be created because you have 365 prohibitions. If you're not created, then you can't violate any prohibitions. <laughs> you have clean, a clean record, a clean slate. You're perfect. On the other hand, but you can't do mitzvahs. If you're not created, you can't do mitzvahs. 
So Hillel says, better a person to be created knowing there's no one who's perfect in this world and knowing you're going to mess up and you're going to sin and you're going to stumble and you're going to have breakdowns. But it's only by being born that you have the opportunity to be drawn, to draw Hashem into this world. And the light that you draw in this world is greater than the light that's even revealed in the higher worlds. Because the fact that this light could be drawn into this physical world means it comes from, 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 from the highest source. Such a powerful light that it can even illuminate this physical world. So only a powerful torch can reach so far. So the light of the mitzvah that lights up your neshama in this world is even greater than the light of the higher worlds, the higher realms. Therefore it's worthwhile for a person to be born, to come into this world with all the ach and krach and all the negativity. And what's the conclusion? The Talmud says, after all this argument, what's the con- they came to a conclusion. What's the conclusion? Really, it's better a person should not be born. <laughs> but now that you're born, make the, make the best of it. Learn Torah, do mitzvah. What does it mean? al Rebbe says it's interesting. The Talmud says, It's better for a person not to be born. Personally. For a person, personally, it's better not to be born. Because life is so much pain and so much, so much pain involved. And so much aggravation and, and, and frustration and, and negativity that we have to deal with and challenges from within and from without, for a person, it's better not to be born. In heaven, it's much better, much more enjoyable in heaven. It's beautiful, it's pleasurable, it's illuminated. It's... But we're born because for Hashem, it's so much better that we're born. Because by, only, by being born and only by living in this world, we're able to fulfill what Hashem wants to fulfill the divine plan. And one moment of fulfilling Hashem's pleasure is worth more than, than all the pleasure that we can have personally. Because our pleasure is limited, it's finite. Hashem's pleasure is infinite. So it's only by being born and only by living and only by being in this world and doing the mitzvot and drawing Hashem into this world, it's only through that that we give Hashem His pleasure. So therefore, that's why it's a very, it's no contest. If you have an co- option of doing a mitzvah, an option of not doing a prohibition, which comes first? Of course, the mitzvah overrides the prohibition. It's only by the mitzvah that you're doing and you're bringing Hashem into this world, you're giving Hashem His pleasure. So that overrides it. Okay, you want to continue, but? But concerning repentance, which would seek to rectify the translation of a positive comment, Though through repentance the punishment for rebelling against God's rule and not fulfilling the king's word is commuted, nonetheless the illumination which would have been drawn down through the performance of the positive command is lacking, even after repentance, so that the sin remains only passionately rectified. Not only isn't a mitzvah less significant than a, than a prohibition, that you can so easily do tshuva, you're not, you don't move before you're forgiven. On the contrary. It's precisely because a positive mitzvah is, carries so much weight and so much significance that tshuva doesn't help. And Yom Kippur won't help. The only thing you can do is a partial rectification. On the verse, a goodness that cannot be corrected even through repentance. Our sages accordingly comment. This relates to one who neglected the evening or morning reading of the Shema or the evening of the morning prayer. So if you miss one time the Shema, you missed it in the morning. That's it. That's you can't make up for it. You read in the evening, it's a separate mitzvah to read in the evening. But for the morning, you missed it. There's nothing you can do. As he says, continue, for though, on top of page 106. For though he be scrupulous henceforth about reading the morning and evening Shema, forevermore, thereby demonstrating his regret, his repentance is ineffectual in correcting what he once neglected. For after all is said and done, the world will forever be lacking the unique gift of divine life, he could have drawn down 
through reading the Shema on that particular occasion. Thus, all that repentance can accomplish, he is now able to accomplish through repentance alone. No other steps can secure him any further atonement. So much for him to transgress the positive precept. I thought that I was told that when somebody does tshuva, whatever they did would, would be elevated because once they did their tshuva, the whole time that they weren't yet able to do tshuva is counted as leading them towards their tshuva. Mm. So you're saying that by not praying the Shema, a person loses out, that's true. But let's say a person didn't, and a person suddenly realized that that's what they should be doing, and then they start. So wouldn't that time be counted as part of the elevation since everything they did before is elevated once they do the tshuva? Well, there is a concept. If a person, let's say, wants to do a mitzvah, but he's forced, he couldn't do the mitzvah. So there's a rule in Judaism that you have a good excuse in court, you couldn't do it, you were forced. But it can't be considered as if you've done it. In other words, you can be sincere and it's not your fault and it's all beautiful. But the bottom line is, you did not board the train. But it wasn't my fault. Someone held me back. Someone forced me, tied me up. You're right. It's not your fault. I'm not going to punish you, but you're not on the train. (laughs) You can't change that. You didn't do the mitzvah. You didn't read the Shema. There's nothing you can do about it. So that's what he's saying. You can't, tshuva cannot, that's what the Talmud says. What's a crookedness that can't be fixed? If you, if you miss a mitzvah. You miss a mitzvah one, that light is missing. Now, there is, there is a possibility to make up for even a mitzvah. We discussed last week. A very profound teshuva, a very deep teshuva. A tshuva that's earth-shattering, that shakes you to your very core and your very essence. A tshuva that touches the very essence of God. A tshuva that transcends time and space. That completely shifts, changes, reveals, you know, your your, your essence. That's a rare type of tshuva. That's one one in a million, if not even rarer. That type of tshuva does have the power to even make up for all the mitzvah that you lacked. But that's an extraordinary type of tshuva. That's not what we're discussing here. We're discussing here a regular tshuva. We're not discussing the deepest, most profound, most unusual, you know, one, one in a billion type of tshuva. We're talking about a regular tshuva. So regular tshuva, you can't, it, um, you can't make up for a positive mitzvah. Tshuva doesn't help. You didn't do it. There's nothing I can do. You know, it says even when a person, it says when a person does the tshuva, what happens is, if a person, let's say, sinned intentionally. So what happens when you do tshuva? Now the intentional sin is reduced to like an unintentional sin. And that's why you're not punished. Why? Because now that you're wiser, now that you regret what you've done. So now if you had a choice, you wouldn't have done it. So it's like unintentional. Now, retroactively, it's like that, the reason I sinned is because it was unintentional. I didn't realize what I realize now. I didn't realize how important it is to do the mitzvah and how important it is not to violate it. So because of my awareness now, even though at the time it was intentional, but now my tshuva changes it. What does it change? It doesn't change the act, but it changes from intentional, now it's reduced to unintentional. You know, instead of from, from manslaughter, now it's reduced to uh, accident, right. So from intentional, it's reduced to unintentional because right now it genuinely is unintentional. I did the sin, but I made a mistake. What's unintentional? Intentional means I made a mistake. I didn't realize. I forgot it was Shabbos. I forgot that you're not allowed to carry on Shabbos. So this is the same idea. Once you do tshuva, it becomes unintentional because I made a mistake. I didn't realize how much I care about my Judaism, how much I care about my relationship with Hashem, how much I care and how important it is not to sin. Had I known, I wouldn't have sinned. So the reason I sinned is, it's, it's in a sense, it's like unintentional. It was a mistake. But the sin is there. You can't pretend that I didn't sin. So to hear, the mitzvah was not done. So now you realize your mistake. 
So even though now he's careful, and from now on for the rest of his life he never once misses the Shema, in morning and evening, not a single time, not a single day, it's very nice. But that morning that you missed, you missed. missed. There's nothing you can do. That light is gone. That light, not gone, that light, you never draw down that light. You know, you, you didn't do business. You took a year off. And you regret it. And now, for the rest of your life, you're going to work hard, and you're going to earn money. Yeah, but that year's earning, you didn't have. It's very nice, but you can't make up for that lost year. That mitzvah is lost. For that, Shuvah doesn't help. Suppose you got other things, like greater depth, because you traveled for a year, but you never get the money back that you didn't earn. Yeah, it's fine. But, I'm saying, but, the, but that opportunity, you can't make up. It's very nice, whatever it is. You tr- it's a trade-off. You got some, but you lost something. What you lost, you lost. Okay, continue. If one violates in the middle of 106. If one violates a prohibition in thought, speech, or action, since thereby evil cleaves to his soul, he also impairs its supernal root and source. When a Jew sins, the sin is like a stain on your soul. So not only does it stain your soul, it also stains the root of the soul and the source of the soul. Because we are connected. Our souls are connected above. Whatever we do, as we're going to learn later on in the next few chapters, whatever we do has an effect up above. Not only in this world. We have an effect in the higher world as well. Everything that we think, everything that we speak, everything that we do, if we realize what's at stake, how we have the whole world in our hands, whatever we think, whatever we speak, whatever we do, affects not only us, but affects our root and the source, the source of the soul. You know, where, where, where it's taken from. Because the soul, it's not just the soul is rooted in heaven. Chaitzvah means it's carved from heaven. Because we carry heaven within us. We carry a piece of heaven within us, our soul. So when we do damage, when we scar our soul, we create a stain in our soul, it's creating a stain in heaven. Continue in the garbs. The garbs of the ten sefirot of Asiya, as Tikkunei Zohar writes, you have fashioned garbs or the sephirot from which fly forth souls for men. Zohar is teaching that evil starts from Malkut of Asiya, Firot of Asiya. And Asiya is, not, is the lowest of all the worlds. Of because Asiya, the world of Asiya is the interface between the soul and the soul entering into the body. See, the soul originates in Atsilas, in the world of emanation. But the soul has to go through many steps until it descends, until it comes into human consciousness. So the interface between the higher realms and before the soul is blown into our nostrils, before the soul enters into our body, this is the world of Asiya, the tensvirot of Asiya. So therefore, when we sin, we affect, we affect the garbs of the ten svirot of Asiya, which of course is connected with the ten svirot of the world of formation, which is connected to the ten svirot of the world of creation, which is rooted and connected to the ten svirot of the world of emanation. So we touch the divine. We affect the divine. Positive and negative. Everything that we do affects not only the angels and not only the, it affects the divine itself. The ten svirot is the divine. It's Hashem. We affect Hashem. Wow is right. We have such power. We have such an effect, such an impact on the whole world. Not only on the whole world. On the divine. On our soul. On its root. On its source. And on the divine. Hashem. So that stain that we created, that mess that we made... That bomb that we, we, that we terrorized and we destroyed, that we have to fix. We have to get rid of that stain. It doesn't help to do teshuvah. Okay, I'm no longer a rebel. From now on, I'm faithful and I'm loyal. It's very nice. But how about the mess? You have to clean up the mess. 
And for that, Shuvah alone is not enough. Okay, continue. We does see from Tikkunei Zohar that it is from the garments of the Sephirot that souls emanate. When a soul is blemished through sin, these garments are blemished as well. Therefore, there is no atonement for his own soul, nor above, until Yom Kippur. As will be explained a little later, atonement means cleansing that which was blemished. This requires not only repentance, but in addition, Yom Kippur. Atonement doesn't, not that we're going to learn later, is not just to forgive, but atonement is to clean up the mess, to undo the damage. For that, you need, you need the power of Yom Kippur as well to achieve an atonement, a cleansing. Because that's the power of Yom Kippur. As it says, you want to, you want to continue? Concerning which it is written, he shall atone for the holy place because of the impurities of the children of Israel and because of the sins. Before Havaya shall you be purified, before God distressed. That is, the purification granted by Yom Kippur emanates from a level that transcends the divine name, Havaya, and can even atone for a blemish that resulted from transgressing prohibitive command. So why is it that Yom Kippur is able to achieve an atonement? Because Yom Kippur, not only is the tshuva of Yom Kippur much deeper, obviously, on Yom Kippur every Jew is inspired. So the tshuva of Yom Kippur is much deeper, much more profound, much more moving than the tshuva that you do throughout the year. But it's the day itself. The day itself, the day of Yom Kippur, achieves an atonement. Because the day of Yom Kippur, we stand before Hashem. Before Hashem, you will be purified. It's like a cleansing. Yom Kippur itself is a cleanser. Because on the day of Yom Kippur, reveal the essential connection that every Jew has to Hashem. That core connection that every Jew has to Hashem. It's like a parent-child relationship. You know, you could, the child can sin to his parent, to his father. But when that unconditional love between the father and the son is revealed... All ill will, all negative, negative feelings, it's all cleansed away, it's all washed away. So on Yom Kippur, the essence of Yom Kippur, that essential connection of a Jew to Hashem, Lifnei Hashem, it reaches a level that even is beyond Hashem. What do you mean beyond Hashem? Hashem is Hashem's name. A name represents a certain level. But there is a level that's Lifnei Hashem, the essence of Hashem that transcends his name, his essence, it's beyond the name. It's beyond the conscious level. It's that core connection that every Jew has to Hashem, that unconditional love that every Jew has to Hashem. Even when he's sinning, he has that unconditional love to Hashem. Even, even while he's sinning, he's still connected. So it's unconscious. It's unconscious. And on Yom Kippur, that's all that is revealed. On Yom Kippur, that deep, subconscious, core, unconditional connection that every Jew has to Hashem, is fully revealed in all its glory. And once that's revealed, all negative feelings, all barriers, all negativity is just cleansed and washed away. And you walk away pure. And that's why Yom Kippur, every Jew has to celebrate Yom Kippur. How about a Jew who didn't sin? Maybe I did shuvah last year. And I didn't sin. Since last Yom Kippur, I didn't sin. Why, why do I need a cleansing? Well, well, today we could relate to it. You know, in our computers, it accumulates, gets clogged up, you know, just by usage. You accumulate a lot of junk from all the programs we go on. And once a year, you just have to wipe clean the whole computer. You know, back up everything, just wipe it clean. Because you can start fixing, and, you know, it starts getting clogged down, it starts getting slowed down. You know, yeah, you just once a year you just have to wipe it clean like, and start all over again. Like Brandon, that's the advantage of a computer. It's not mechanical, it's electroelectronic. So you wipe it clean and it's brand new. It's like off the shelf. Brand new. Doesn't. So, because we live, just by living, we get clogged up. You know, we eat, we eat, and we drink, and we sleep, and we, we're material beings. So, no matter how perfect you are, no matter how spiritual and godly and holy, you, you get clogged up. 
starts slowing down and starts. So once a year, you need a cleansing, a major cleansing. <laughs> you know, everyone needs it. You start all over again, and now you're brand new, you're fresh, you're rejuvenated, invigorated. So it's the day of Yom Kippur. The day of Yom Kippur reaches so deep. It's like a lake, a lake that's all clogged up, and it's growing reeds and weeds, it's growing weeds. How are you going to fix the lake? One way is you're going to start cutting down all the weeds. Well, if you have a year and a half to start cutting down every weed, and by the time next morning you come back, it's back again. But then there's a much better way. The reason why all these weeds are growing is because this fresh water lake is now clogged up. The source of the wellspring water is clogged up. So what do you do? You unplug the wellspring water, and suddenly the wellspring water floods the lake, this fresh water, and the weeds just die. There's no room for it. When you're so healthy, there's no room for illness. You flood the body with so much health. That, that's the alternative approach to medicine. You flood the body with so much health that there's no room for the cancer, there's no room for the illness. It just, it just, just has nowhere to hold on to. So this is what happens on Yom Kippur. The day of Yom Kippur is when Hashem, Lifne Hashem, you go to the source, the source, Lifne Hashem, before Hashem, before Hashem emanates from Himself, the Ten Sefirot, this is all like at the conscious level. But when you go to the subconscious level, you go to the source, and then you unclog, and then you let the fresh water flow, and all the negativity is just washed away. All the sin and all the dirt and all the schmutz and all the stains and, and you're like fresh and brand new. So this is the power of Yom Kippur. So therefore, truva alone is not enough. You need not only the truva that comes with Yom Kippur, which is different than the truva of a whole year, but you also need Yom Kippur itself. Because Yom Kippur, Hashem forgives you. I think uh, that's the first time we met was on Yom Kippur. <laughs> well, you could say the Tanya project started on Yom Kippur. Lifnei Hashem titaru. Hashem forgives all, and, and you become pure. You're purified of all the negativity. Okay, and now we conclude. Hence one should not, God forbid, infer any leniency in the positive commandments from the which states that one is immediately forgiven after repenting for having transgressed a positive command. While transgressing a negative command requires, in addition, the atonements of Yom Kippur. So this is the answer to the puzzle. Everyone is very puzzled. On one hand, we say a positive mitzvah overrides a prohibition. So from this, we see that a positive mitzvah carries more weight, is more significant. And here we say, if you, if you violate the positive mitzvah, no big deal, you're forgiven instantly. If you violate a prohibition, you need truva, you need Yom Kippur. So from this, it would seem that a, a negative prohibition is stricter. And the proof is you have punishment. If you violate a positive mitzvah, what's your punishment? The Torah doesn't spell it out, but if you violate a negative prohibition, there's punishment. So you see, it's much stricter. So he says, no, it's not true. A positive mitzvah carries more weight and takes, is primary. And it over, overrides a prohibition. Because that's how you draw Hashem into this world. And that's the ultimate purpose. That's why Hashem created the world. You have to be active. You have to do. But, but if you violate a positive mitzvah, so the, the light that you lost, there's nothing you can do to make up for it. Tshuva won't help. So it's even stricter than, 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 than a prohibition. Because a prohibition, Yom Kippur helps. If you violate a positive mitzvah, Yom Kippur won't help you to get back that mitzvah. So on the contrary, the message is Yom Kippur, Truba doesn't help for that. But I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do anything right, but I didn't do anything. I didn't, do, I didn't act. So therefore, you, the Truba is only for yourself personally. You were a rebel, and now you regret that you're a rebel, and now you want to come back home, and you want to reassert, you reaffirm your loyalty, and you're instantly forgiven. But when you violate a prohibition, in addition to being a rebel, you messed up. You didn't act. You brought negative energy into this world. And for that, you need forgiveness. For that, you need a cleansing. 
Tshuva alone is not enough. It's only Yom Kippur, which is so profound and so deep. The day of Yom Kippur, the essence of Yom Kippur, brings about a, 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 a purification. Now, although when a person is tempted to sin and he doesn't sin, Talmud says, it's as if he committed a mitzvah. If you're tempted to sin and you don't sin, you also draw down godly light into this world. But it's not the same as when you do a mitzvah. The mitzvah are the organs of Hashem. Like the eye draws out the soul's ability to see. So when you do a mitzvah, that's when you're really bringing Hashem's light into this world. When you're tempted to sin and you're tested and you overcome the test and you don't sin, you draw down a certain light, that's true, but it's more in a spiritual sense, not into this world, because you haven't done an act. There's no vessel, there's no vehicle, there's no organ to draw down that light into this world. You haven't done something. It's something within. You were strong inside and therefore, and vice versa. When a person doesn't do a mitzvah, a positive mitzvah, you also you create, you know, it's a, it's a negative thing. But still, since you haven't done any act, so therefore, that negativity has not, you haven't stained anything in this physical world. And that's why um, you don't need the Kippur to forgive. Yeah, you're going to ask something? Yeah. Yeah. When you, uh, when you mentioned light, uh, which we bring to this world, is this imminent or transcendental light? Well, it's... Uh, when they are doing positive... Uh, positive mitzvah. Yeah. Well, it depends. When you study Torah, as we're going to learn right now, it's more of an imminent light. Because studying Torah is with your mind, with your brain, with your mind. You understand it, you absorb it, you internalize it. When you do a mitzvah, it's more of a transcendent light. It's like that's why it's called mitzvahs are called garments. A clothes they surround you. It's not something you internalize. A clothes is something that's around you. It's not something when you. But Torah is compared to bread, like we learned in the first part of Tanya, chapter five. When you when you eat, you internalize it. You digest it. It becomes part of you, because Torah is by learning. So Torah is more internal. Mitzvot are more. They surround you, they engulf you, they, they're more like a transcendent light. But you bring that transcendent light into your soul and into this world. Okay. Particularly, ought one not infer leniency of Torah study? If a person doesn't do a positive mitzvah, let's say you omitted the study of Torah, you wasted your time, you didn't study Torah. So don't think, well, here it says, you do tshuva and you're instantly forgiven. So how much of a sin could it be already if you instantly forgive it? When you violate a prohibition, you need shuva and you need Yom Kippur, that means it's something serious. If I didn't study Torah, big deal. The moment I do shuva, I'm instantly forgiven. He says, no, on the contrary. Any mitzvah, any mitzvah, if you don't do the mitzvah, the shuva won't help you. Yom Kippur won't help you. That's why you don't have to wait for Yom Kippur. Not because it's so light, it's so insignificant. Because it's too late. How much more so studying of Torah? Torah is so significant, continue, on the contrary. On the contrary, our sages assert, God has in certain instances glossed over even idolatry, incest and murder, though incision and capital punishment are involved, but did not accuse the neglect of Torah study. It says in the Midrash, also in the Jerusalem Talmud, it says, that during the destruction of the first temple. So it says Hashem would have forgiven the Jewish people for all their sins. They committed adultery. They worshipped idolatry. Uh, they committed murder. And yet Hashem was ready to forgive them for all their sins. If, had they studied Torah. But since they neglected the study of Torah, therefore Hashem exiled them and destroyed the temple. Unbelievable. What's the Talmud telling us? That even though they violated not just a prohibition, the worst prohibitions, prohibitions that, as we learned, even Yom Kippur can't atone for you. We're going to learn in a moment. You need pain and suffering. They violated the three most cardinal sins, adultery and murder and, and idolatry. And yet Hashem was ready to forgive them. Why? If they would have studied Torah. That's the power of the mitzvah of studying Torah. The power of the mitzvah is so powerful. It's such a protection that even when we deserve the worst punishment for the worst sins, the Torah protects us. 
I'm signaling incest here, and I don't know if that's a, maybe a um, accidental. Uh, you said a, a, adultery, but I'm seeing. Oh yeah, here. yeah. It's 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 all types of immoral acts, adultery oh, okay. and incest. Of the, the modern American. Right. Definition. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 all all like types of acts. Yeah. Incest. Brothers and sisters who marry each other. Yeah. All, all types of the worst types of acts. They're saying even incest. Interesting. Even in our culture, which is anything goes and everything goes, <laughs> but incest is is a line that everyone draws a line. Yeah, exactly. You know, and here they they even did incest, and nevertheless, Hashem was ready to forgive them had they studied Torah. That's the power of studying Torah. So the fact that it says that if a person doesn't study Torah. If you do tshuva, you're forgiven instantly. Don't draw any conclusions from that, that, that not studying Torah is no big deal. And the proof is, because you're instantly forgiven. When you violate a prohibition, you're not instantly forgiven. You have to wait for Yom Kippur. But if you don't study Torah, you're wasting your time, you didn't study Torah, you do tshuva, you're instantly forgiven. It's obviously not studying Torah is not such an important thing. No, on the contrary, here you see how important studying of Torah. It's so important that even if a person violated all the sins, if the Jewish people violated all the sins, but had they studied Torah, it would have protected them. So we see how important the studying of Torah is. So what then, if that's the case, why, does, why do we say that the moment you ask for forgiveness, the moment you do tshuva, you're instantly forgiven? If studying Torah is so important, carries so much weight, that in that merit alone you're able to override and Hashem is ready to forgive and the worst sins, even an incest. So then why could you do tshuva so quickly? And the answer is, because the Torah that you missed, you can't make up. Tshuva won't help. Yom Kippur won't help. Nothing you do will help. So the tshuva is only you are a rebel. You're a soldier. You were given a command. Imagine a soldier doesn't listen to, doesn't obey commands. Right, you in the army. <laughs> Imagine a soldier, a soldier who doesn't, right? Any of you in the army? Navy. In the Navy, right? A soldier doesn't listen to commands? You're court-martialed. You're shot. You're shot, and during a war, you're shot. Right, during a war, you're shot. Well, this is a war. And Hashem gives us commands. Hashem says, learn. Well, I'm not interested. <laughs> I work for myself. I'm an American. I have rights. In the army, you have no rights. <laughs> You're a soldier. What do you, what do you, mean? you You obey orders. You don't have any civil rights. You really don't. Right, you don't. You're no. court-martialed, of yeah. course. You're in the army. Okay. Well, we're all in the army. <laughs> we're in the army of Hashem. Hashem is our king. Hashem is our, we're his loyal, faithful servants. And if Hashem tells us to do something, you do it. And here Hashem tells us, learn Torah. I'm not interested. I woke up in a bad mood today. <laughs> I'm not in the mood. Imagine a soldier waking up. Well, today I'm not in the mood. Tomorrow, if I feel like it, I mean, this, that's not an army. There's no room for individuals. <laughs> There's no room. You like it, you don't like it. An order is an order. And you don't even have to understand. The army doesn't ask you to understand the order. Do. And later on, if you're lucky, you'll understand it. You don't have to understand. Just obey what you're told. It's not your business to see the bigger picture and to understand what you're told. You just have to do. That's an army. So a Jew is a soldier. We're in Hashem's army. Hashem tells us, do a mitzvah. We have to do a mitzvah. And if we don't do the mitzvah, if we don't do the mitzvah, then we're rebelling against Hashem. So for that, you have to do tshuva. That tshuva helps. But for that, you can do tshuva instantly. To change from a rebel... And to be asked to, to be taken back, you want to rejoin the army. And from now on, you promise you're going to behave, and you're going to do the right thing. And that, if Hashem looks into your heart and he sees you're sincere, you can do that, you're, you're accepted in a second. There's no time. You don't need Yom Kippur. What do you need Yom Kippur for? You're ready. You're accepted. Period. It's done. So that's why Shuva helps right away. Not because a positive mitzvah is not so important, so big deal, it's no big deal, you can fix it right away. No, on the contrary, it's such a big deal that you can't fix it. A prohibition you can fix if you mess up. But if you mess up a positive mitzvah, you can't fix. The part that you could fix, that you can do instantly. What part could you fix? The fact that you lost the mitzvah, that you can't fix. You could fix that you were a rebel. So now you have a change of heart, and now you want to... You're asked to be accepted back. 
that can be fixed in a second, in a moment. You don't need Yom Kippur, you don't need pain and suffering, you don't need death. You, you, that happens in a moment. That's why it's called a commandment. I just, after all my years, I just realized it's, it's not... It's not a suggestion. Yeah, not a suggestion. <laughs> Suggested donation. No, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> Mitzvot are not suggestions, right? If you feel like it, if you're in a good mood, if you're new, new agey, I feel like it, you know, I'm in a mood now, I'm in a meditative mood, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like Shabbos. Right. Tomorrow night I'm too busy, it's not convenient. Shabbos comes in too early, I have an important business meeting, uh, well, let me take him Shabbos early. <laughs> Lighting a candle Thursday night, it's not a commandment. You can't make up, a mitzvah is not something you make up. It's not a touchy-feely, new-agey, you feel like it, you know, it's good, you know, you make it up as you go along. You create your own right and wrong, create your own religion. A mitzvah, it's a command. It's a communication. Mm-hmm. Hashem is saying, if you do this mitzvah, then you're connected to me. By doing this mitzvah, you're connected to me. So you do the mitzvah whether you're in the mood or you're not in the mood. Shabbos comes, it's Shabbos. Whether you're in the mood or not in the mood, it's Shabbos. The holiday comes. It's not like the English holidays. The American holidays, they make it convenient. They, make, they push it off to the weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, if it falls out in the middle of the week, it's very inconvenient. Like this year, Shavuos is Tuesday night. Very inconvenient. Uh, you know, the whole week is gone. You know, it's, uh, you know, why don't we do it already in a weekend? Make it convenient. Because this is, it is what it is. It is when it is and it is what it is. You can't change it. And you can't push it off. This is, you know, a mitzvah. It's like the beautiful analogy someone gave. He said there was once a, um, a navy, you were in the navy. So once a navy, a navy ship was, and they see from a distance, they see a light. They see there's another ship, and they're, ba- they're going to crash. So he gets, he gets on the, uh, the mic or whatever, and he radios to the personnel, navy personnel on the other ship, that, that light, and he says, you better move. We're heading right at you. There's going to be a crash. He says, Captain, we're not moving. Yes. How dare you? You know who you're talking to? He says, Captain, we're not moving. I'm going to, the, to your superior, and he calls the, the admiral. And the admiral gets on the thing. He says, you better move. There's a boat going right at you. He says, Admiral, we're not budging. How dare you? We're going to court-martial you. Let me get the Secretary of the Navy on the line. It's the Secretary of the Navy... You better move this second. It's going to be a major disaster. He said, Secretary, with all due respect, we're not budging. We're not moving. I'm going to call the, head, the, the Joint Chief of Staff, the head of the Joint the, the Chief of Staff. He, says, he starts yelling, how dare you? What's your name? Are you, we're going to hang you. We're going to kill you. What, what are you doing? He says, sorry, sir, with all due respect, we're not moving. See, we're a lighthouse. Mitzvah don't budge. As it says in Hashem says, a thousand King Solomons will be lost and not one letter in the Torah will be changed. Torah doesn't budge. This is not new age, touchy-feely, it makes me feel good. If I'm in the mood, I make, I make it up as I go along. I make up my own. A mitzvah is a commandment. It's a lighthouse. It doesn't budge. You're going to have to go all around, but the mitzvah is not budging. <laughs> a mitzvah is divine. A mitzvah is Hashem. You can rationalize, you can excuse it, you can come up with a thousand and one explanations and reasons. The bottom line is, you're not doing what Hashem wants of you. It's not going to happen. <laughs> That's a mitzvah. So, if you miss the mitzvah, there's nothing you can do to make up for it. But the fact that you rebelled against the king, you dismissed the mitzvah, for that, you have to do tshuva. But for that, tshuva helps instantly. That you can do truth in a second. If you're sincere. Hashem looks into your heart and Hashem sees you sincere.
Okay, next week we're going to continue the b'risa. Till now we learned if you violated the positive mitzvah, if you violated the prohibition. And then he's going to continue the b'risa. If a person uh, violated prohibitions that come with a death sentence. And then we're going to go into what is the definition of teshuva, what is the essence of teshuva. And uh, it's very, very powerful, powerful stuff. Let me continue. Yes. What type of light do we attract by adhering to 365? Ah, what type of light? Very good question. It's a very profound light. What type? But it's a light that completely transcends this world because whatever happens, happens internally. How do you fulfill the 365 prohibitions? You attempted to sin. You know, the, a thief that doesn't have the opportunity to steal thinks he's honest. That's not fulfilling the mitzvah, thou shalt not steal. The mitzvah, fulfilling the mitzvah is when you're tempted to steal. You could steal. You could get away with it. And you don't, because Hashem says don't steal. So when you do a mitzvah, it's very deep. It's something very deep inside of you. You know, if you want to know what a person is all about, it's not by the things that they do. That doesn't tell me anything about the person. It's by the things they won't do. The red lines they won't cross. That's what gives you character. That's what gives you definition. That's what makes you into, into who you really are. That's, so that, but that's very deep. And that's very intimate. And that's very silent. You don't see anything. On the surface, nothing happened. There's no activity. I am not doing a sin. Technically, I, didn't, I don't see anything happening. But it's only that, by doing that, that you really touch something place very deep inside. Which also touches a very great light, a very profound light that totally transcends. But that's why it doesn't have a vessel, doesn't have a vehicle. You can't draw it down into this world because it totally transcends this world. Yeah. So, you know, it's like the story, you know, the story with the, uh, it was this cub reporter, a new, new reporter in town. And uh, suddenly it was an emergency and the head of the paper had to leave town and he was going to miss. There was this wedding that everyone in town was talking about for the last six months. It was the mayor's daughter was marrying, uh, the mayor's son was marrying the richest person, his, his daughter. You know, the richest person in town was marrying his daughter. So the whole town was talking, this is going to be the wedding of the century for this town. And this newspaper was going to cover it. The head of the paper wanted to cover it personally, but he had an emergency, he had to run, so he puts his... Uh, Fresh reporter, this cub reporter, that's his assignment, it's this most important assignment in your life. When I come back in the morning, I want everything prepared for the presses, the whole story, what happened at the wedding. Anyway, he comes back, comes to the office, there's nothing there. There's no story, no headline, no story. <laughs> He's like, he doesn't understand. He calls in the cub reporter, he says, I understand. Where's the story? The cub reporter says, Well, Nothing happened. What do you mean nothing happened? We've been talking about this for six months. All town is, this is the, the greatest marriage of the century for this town. What do you mean nothing happened? What, what are, you, are you kidding? I'm telling you nothing happened. Yeah, you had nothing to write. There was nothing to write about. So I'm telling you nothing happened. You see, the groom, uh, the groom did not show up for the wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a prohibition, nothing happens. But nothing happens, that's the greatest story. Yeah. You attempted to steal and you didn't steal. You attempted to speak last night and you didn't because Hashem told you not to. That's the greatest story. But, it, but externally, nothing happened. So the light that's brought down is, is a tremendous light, but it completely transcends this world. It can't be drawn down. So when you do a positive mitzvah, it's a light that you're able to draw down. The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of Golas, of exile, and we will be the first generation of Geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas once and for all? Well, Mashiach himself gave the secret away. In his famous encounter with the Baal Shem Tov, 
He tells the Baal Shem Tev that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrifices life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem Tev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbe's sacrifice themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebbe's, published over 6,000 Tanyas, literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible 24-6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya, we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alter Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com, thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now, when we'll learn Tanya from the Alter Rebbe himself. Thank you.